If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I'm excited that you're here. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's podcast here in just a second. We're going to hit up our sponsors that help make the show possible. There's lots of companies that I believe in that I think help veterans across the board, whether it's find a job, hire talent, become more efficient in their practice, all those things, right? So these sponsors mean a ton to me. So I know a lot of people will fast forward or skip through them. But if and when you're looking for help and some of the solutions they offer, I would highly, highly encourage you to check them out. And so with that, no further ado, jump into the ads and we'll get right into the show. So thank you for listening and uh, enjoy. I get it, Isaiah. You talk about Bitcoin all the time. Well, as I go out and about, I continually hear the demand for any more Bitcoin education, or I don't really understand. I hear you talking about it. I know you're passionate about it. I know you have a lot of conviction, but I need more info. And that's where Bitcoin for Vet Med really came from, was taking, hey, the 10,000, 100,000 hours of time that I've spent and distill it down into bite-sized courses and walking you through of getting a foundational why, a little bit of understanding the technical side of Bitcoin, and then how to grapple with the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and just the things that you hear throughout the media and giving you the ability to up your Bitcoin knowledge to go from zero to hero and feel a lot more comfortable saying, okay, this is something that matters and I want to take some of the value that I create and save into Bitcoin. So head over to bitcoinforvetmed.com or click the link in the show notes. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with Offer First. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay, so link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. They're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepard is an intuitive, easy-to-learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. 
Shepard automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. All right. On today's show, I'm joined by a guest that I was actually fortunate enough to meet and get to know in person at the Sustainability in Equine Practitioner Seminar, or SEPS. You've heard me talk about that a couple times on this podcast. I've interviewed folks that run it. Back in 2022, Dr. Christine Statton and I connected, and she is a large animal veterinarian and a mixed animal practice owner of Adobe Vet Center in Arizona. She has a passion for interests both inside and outside of veterinary medicine, which we're definitely going to get into. You'll learn that pretty quickly, and I think that's probably one of the big keys to her success. And Christine, thank you so much for joining me and uh, excited to record with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm super excited to chat. Yeah. And I know you've kind of been on the podcast circuit lately and I've been wanting to get you on and it's like, man, now I got all this competition to get it booked. Right. <laughs> and so you've been on several. And one of the key things that I will always share with listeners, with guests is I don't want to recreate the same episode that other people have created. And you've given a deep dive into kind of your vet med story and it's really unique. It's great. I would highly, highly encourage people to go check those out because we're not going to recap that. The one that I would plug, good friend of the show, the whole veterinarian and Stacy Cordovano. I know had you on as a guest, great overview of your path, but I want to help frame the conversation today and kick it off with a question to you of basically why specifically did you want to become a veterinarian and how did that kind of shape some decisions that you made? Yeah. So I didn't really want to be a veterinarian. I grew up with animals all around me. My mom was a 4-H kid. So we just were 4-H kids when we were nine years old. We had lots of different rabbits. We or rabbits, animals. We had rabbits. We had goats. We had horses. We spent our weekends riding horses. I showed many species of animal, actually. We raised animals. We sold animals. So that was my background. And then I wanted to be a human obstetrician for sure, since I was five years old. And I was a pre-med student. I was in a little pre-med club in high school. In college, I was a pre-med student. I was a biology major and never took a single animal class in college. And then I went out into the real world of interviewing. Back then, we didn't have internet, literally. So we flew and did interviews. And I had done seven different interviews several at one spot. I hadn't gone to seven schools yet, but they all asked me why I didn't want to be a veterinarian. And I wasn't sure why I didn't want to be a veterinarian, but it had really never crossed my mind. So I came home from an interview and I actually was interviewing at the local college the next day. And I thought, why don't I want to be a veterinarian? And I made a very analytical pro-con list. This is the complete opposite story of every veterinarian I know who has this big emotional reason. They had a puppy that died from parvo when they were five, and they were going to save the world by helping animals. And I love animals, and I love that my job allows me to help animals and their families. But that's not why I went into this profession. So I went in with my pro-con list of physician versus veterinarian. And really, it came down to, I didn't want to do an internship and a residency and a fellowship and move all over the place. I had a young family. I was actually married at the time I was doing my interviews and knew I wanted lots of kids and wanted to have them early. And then the big thing is I wanted to own my own practice. And that's a lot easier in veterinary medicine than it is in human medicine. And so with those two reasons, and I interviewed a bunch of veterinarians and a bunch of obstetricians during that time as well, I pulled all my medical school applications and dove straight into veterinary med, had to go back to college. Now, at this point, I have a baby and I'm going back to college and take biostatistics, biochemistry, and some other bio things, still no animal classes, and then went straight into veterinary school. So very weird reasons, but being a practice owner was that important to me to shift careers. I love that. And I think one of the other things that you maybe reflect on, or maybe you haven't, is just the fact that when you look back at going through vet school, the different classes and things you had to take, it's not an easy thing. And with young kids, it's like, dang, I did that. 
that's incredible. It was definitely hard. And I'm sure there was a lot of sacrifices made across the board for you and your husband and family. And that's incredible to kind of hear that story. Let's fast forward now. And we're going to get back into practice ownership. But you shared a story that happened fairly recently. It was a doctor's visit. So kind of tying in the human medicine side of this. So you were going, seeing a doctor about some things going on. And there was a big impact based on that conversation. And you had an outcome that a lot of people might say, Christine, I don't think that's what normal people would do or what they were trying to hint at doing. But can you, I guess, share and kind of set the stage for what happened and tie that into some interests that are a little bit outside of vet med? Yeah. Was this during the shutdowns? Now I'm forgetting our conversation. Oh yeah. Okay. So anyone who had to own any business through the shutdowns and the restrictions during 2020, 2021, and into 2022, first of all, we all deserve medals. We all probably have a little PTSD from that. And that was insane. During that, early on in the shutdowns, we weren't shut down, but we had so many restrictions and every single day was changing. And I had to make decisions. I'd make three decisions in the morning and by noon, two of them were wrong based on changes in the government regulations. So I felt my heart beating in my throat really hard. And I was like, hmm, you're almost 50 years old and you should probably not ignore this. And it wasn't a great time to go to the doctor at the time, right? You couldn't get in anywhere. And I happened to have a friend who's a cardiologist who got me in and we went through all the tests. She had me wearing monitors for weeks and I had every test you can have on your heart. And she sat me down knee to knee at the end. And she said, I know exactly what's wrong with you. And I said, oh my gosh, what? Tell me, am I going to die? And she said, no, you're trying to run a business during COVID. And that's your problem. It's literally anxiety and stress, and you need to do something different so that your heart doesn't continue to do this. (laughs) So you and my husband agree that that would have been the logical thing. And the thing I needed to do, because I was so, so engrossed in the business and felt like if I stepped away for one second, the place would burn down, that I knew I needed a forced distraction. And I know that about myself. Luckily, I'm old enough to have figured this out. So we had always wanted to buy a cabin four hours north of us. Arizona is a unique state. The bottom half is desert where I live. The top half is a gorgeous pine forest where we wanted to buy this cabin. And we couldn't really afford the cabin, but Airbnbs were doing really well. Short-term rentals were doing really well. And I said, let's buy a short-term rental in Northern Arizona and let's self-manage it. And my husband's response was, wait, you were just told to slow down. I said, no, no, no. She told me to figure out something so that I'm less anxious and stressed. And literally picking out decor for a cabin is a distraction for me. Dealing with guests is a distraction for me. So we did that in June of 2020. We bought ourselves a cabin and it was probably what saved me from losing my mind and going into some nervous system spiral that I couldn't get out of because I had this crazy distraction. And then I was dealing with little things like the worst thing that could happen at the cabin would be they break a table. The worst thing that can happen in my business is an animal runs in the road because we're doing curbside care and gets killed. My team members get sick because we were doing things so differently and changing our systems and structure that we could hurt an animal or kill an animal accidentally because our all of our procedures were changing. And so I needed something with less fatal consequences. Yeah, I would say I would agree probably more where your husband was coming from, like, hey, honey, love you, want to help support you. But this doesn't seem like it's going to help. But reflecting back, it's cool to see that. And I think over time, getting to know, like you mentioned, yourself at what will make the biggest impact to help you hopefully mellow out some and have a distraction to have something that you can find enjoyment outside of veterinary medicine. So I've talked about this a ton on the podcast is you are more than just a practice owner, a veterinarian, you have to have other outside interests because you never know someday that could go away, right? Something could happen. And so you need to make sure that you have these things outside of just what your profession is that you're passionate about or interested in. And that's fantastic. So thanks for sharing that story. We're going to get into a little bit more back into what was maybe causing you a little bit of stress, right? And I've been guilty, I probably on this show, of being super pro-private practice. I know you are as well. 
but it isn't all sunshine and rainbows and butterflies and everything's great and the world is greener and it's just so much better when you become a practice owner. Like that's hard. And you became an owner because you wanted to, and you've been able to grow a fairly good sized team. And I wanted you to kind of walk through what the team looks like today. And then the second part of the question could be, how did you think about building it, retaining it, and how you've built kind of culture and retained the right folks on the team? Yeah, so lots to unpack there. And I'll just kind of go through. My story was, I knew I wanted to be a practice owner. And my vet growing up had been a solo ambulatory practitioner for 20 years. She was fantastic. She was thrilled to hire me on. Back then, practices were sold to the associate. That's kind of how it worked. You'd join a practice, you'd partially buy in, they'd retire, and then you're an owner and you then have an associate do the same. And that's changed dramatically in the last 25 years since her and I started talking about this. But I made, we had a path to ownership of five years, which we actually did quicker than that. That was in my original contract. And then we also had I told her, we're going to grow. We're not going to be solo ambulatory mixed animal practitioners driving around. We're going to grow this thing into something that gives us equity, gives us legacy. I'm not retiring out of a truck. That's me personally. I don't think it's wrong that you want to do that. I just think for me, I knew my vision was scalability. And I grew up in the community that my practice is currently in. I grew up three miles from it. I lived two miles from it. This is the community I want to serve and I want to plant a building there. So fast forward 24 years later, she's retired. She retired seven years ago and we have 11 veterinarians. We have five veterinarians that do small animal medicine and six veterinarians that do large animal medicine. We have trucks. We're out in the field, but we also have the clinic. So that growth clearly had a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And we have days that are highs and days that are lows. But I've learned a lot because I wanted to learn a lot. My bookshelves, I never read fiction. It's a waste of my time. I'm reading, how can I be a better leader? How can I be a better manager? How can I take care of my team? I'm reading outside of vet med because I don't think veterinary medicine is a great business model. So I'm looking at dentistry. I'm looking at other industries, how are they doing well? How are they taking care of their team in ways that I want to take care of my team? And so that's kind of the journey to where we are. And we're continuing to move. We're doing an addition. We're going to continue to hire vets because I recognize that scalability is related to profitability. And if we can be more profitable, everyone in the building benefits from that. So that's the journey. And then there's lots of other parts of that, but about building this team that I'm thrilled to chat about. Yeah. So I think one thing that a lot of private practice owners talk about is they can't find talent. And the amount of veterans that you have working for you probably has various different tenures. Some are probably newer. Some have probably been there longer. I'm sure not everyone's been the perfect fit. And there's been people that have moved on to other locations. But how have you been able to attract veterinarians to your place of employment when they have all these other options and all these big signing bonuses and all these things. I mean, how have you encouraged them to say like, here's the opportunity. This is what we're building. This is what we do. And what's been the response that you've seen? Yeah. Well, at the beginning, I was horrible at it. Yeah. I would hire people based on criteria that didn't make a lot of sense, but it seems like probably about 10 years ago when I knew and my business partner was phasing out. And I knew this was all going to be on me. I really went back to my vision, my mission, and my core values. And we didn't use those a whole lot. In fact, we found out our mission was written by whoever wrote our business plan for us. We didn't even know what it was. So I dug all that out about 10 years ago, and I rewrote it all. Me rewriting the whole thing. What do I want it to look like in the future? How do I want to operate on a daily basis? What is the culture going to look like? And I don't think we were using the word culture that much then, but that's what it is. Your mission and your core values kind of create that culture and then your vision creates that momentum. So that to me is incredibly active in our practice. And once I had locked that in and cared deeply about it, decisions were easy. I could 
make decisions faster. That person's a fit. That person's not a fit. Are they going to get us to our mission? Are they going to align with our core values? Are they going to be an active participant in our mission on a daily basis? And so it made every decision in our practice significantly easier once I got that figured out. And then I learned more and then I learned more. And I actually went back to school and got my MBA a year ago because I wanted to learn more. I wanted to help my practice do better. And I don't, it's a dream I always wanted. The, the reality is I think I could have learned everything on YouTube that I learned, but I would have never learned it at the pace that I was forced to learn it when, I, when you have to turn in term papers. But it was so applicable to my practice. Every term paper was, how does this apply to my practice? And many of the things I tweaked in my practice during the time I was in school. So the question on how do we attract veterinarians, and we actually attract them in droves, which I am really proud of. And that is our culture. It is a culture that people want to be in. And I'll tell them, listen, I cannot match the salaries you're getting offered. I cannot match the signing bonuses, but here's what I can give you. And I literally just put them out with my team. And we want people who spend a lot of time with us. And once they spend a lot of time with us, a lot of people realize that they're a really good fit for what we offer. We have just a culture that's everyone's empowered. Every voice matters. A pet resort attendant can tell me, we don't do that here, Dr. Staten, if I go outside of our code of conduct that we're well aware of. And that's okay if they bring that to me. And so I think there's something there. There's also paths for growth for every team member that's in our practice. And I think that's really important for people. They want to know not just what are you offering? What do you hire people at? They want to know how do I learn and grow and make more money and be a, a bigger influence in this profession? Love that. And I would totally agree on the MBA part. You've probably learned way more just by doing <laughs> since for 24 years than what you would learn going through an MBA course, because you can read every book, you can do all these different things. But at the end of the day, there's something about doing it and learning from some of the decisions and what helps when you can go and do both. But I think the real world practical experience is super, super valuable. I love the idea of the pathways to growth. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was, do you have any sort of thoughts for you personally, when you think about the legacy and an exit plan, right? I used to talk about that a lot when I was an advisor for business owners. What does it look like for you? Do you have anything with the team where they can say, hey, I want to be an owner? And do you have those discussions? Is it something that's out there? Or is that part of kind of the path is paths for growth from a DBM angle? Yeah, ours is a little unique. Maybe it's not so unique, but my daughter's in veterinary school and has an interest in practice ownership. That's so awesome. for me, that's an easy exit strategy, right? And certainly legacy. That's family business at its finest. My other associates all know that they have a buy-in option. And right now, other than a couple that might, that are much newer and out of school, and they said that might be something they're interested in, my tenured vets are like, we're great. We love being an associate. We just want to do this. And it's great. And I'm happy that that's the case. But Absolutely. I think that bringing associates in is a good idea. And selling to corporate practice is certainly, I know a lot of people that did that. I know some people that are happy about it, some people that aren't happy about it. It's just not what I'm looking to do. And it helps that I have a daughter who would like very much to own this practice at some point. So for me, my legacy, my exit strategy is very much tied up in family legacy. Yeah, that's awesome. And Congrats, because that's really special. And you can dream up the best perfect scenario to exit the perfect person to buy. And it's like, you still can't duplicate the ability to have a child that went through school, has known about this place, probably spent a ton of time there growing up and seeing you spend a ton of time there too, and just gets it. So that's awesome. From a hiring perspective, you've hired a bunch of people. Is there anything that you've changed that's made a huge impact? Whether it's a question, whether it's a structure, whether it's a training, is there anything that stands out or a couple things that you would impart on maybe newer practice owners or people that have maybe owned a practice for a while and just struggle on the hiring? Yeah, absolutely. We have changed so much. We are so, so much better at it than we used to be. And what that translates into, and I'll tell you kind of the things we're looking for, but what that translates into is somebody who is established into their position a lot quicker which is great for them, great for us, and somebody who doesn't want to leave. So that's our goal. 
So what we are looking at when we're interviewing people is, can they follow instructions? Can they learn? Do they want to learn? We're not looking to say, oh, they're going to work here for the rest of their life. The reality is that's not the norm anymore. What we're saying is, do you like learning and growing? And we can ask questions to find that out. We can say in your last practice from when you, or your last job from the day you started till the day you left, tell me about any personal and professional growth that you had during that time. We'll know really quickly. Well, no, I just did the same job the whole time. Well, then maybe there's not a motivation to do that. And then there's also the alignment. We're really looking for, are you going to help us get to our vision? Are you going to bring stuff in that's going to work with our system? You know, we're not going to bring you in and have you be a robot. You're going to bring in unique core capabilities. And how can we incorporate those so that one, you're empowered, and two, we as a practice are benefiting from whatever you're bringing in. So we look for learning. In fact, one of the tests that we do is we don't ask them to do things that they are proficient in. So if they say, I know how to put a catheter in a cat, I don't care. Great. I could teach you how to put a catheter in a cat if you are teachable. So what we ask them to do instead of show us how you put a catheter in a cat is we say, hey, have you ever intubated a pig? Nope. Great. Come over here. Let me show you how to do it. And then I'm going to have you do it. And we watch how they learn that process. And that has changed everything. And you can find learners and people who aren't going to learn well. And I just can't, we used to hire people and sometimes it would take six months to get them established into their position. That's a financial disaster for us. We're paying someone who's not income generating. Plus, they don't feel really great about themselves either if they last through that whole training process. So learning and growing is the big things we're looking for. And then just, I know fit is a hard thing to say, but it's something that we're looking for. And we let them loose with the team without management present so that we can see if that fit is there because our team doesn't want to bring somebody in that's going to buck the system. Yeah, they're going to they're going to know pretty quickly and you get a feel for fit I think over time. Yeah, maybe the first couple of hires you're like, oh, I think there's a fit and then when you're doing the 20th or 30th you're going to be like, yeah, we know fit. We we've seen this is the type of person that fits really well and will integrate within the team. And then, yeah, if you get feedback from a handful of people that are like, they have questions, you need to listen to them. Even if you think, oh, this is a slam dunk hire, they meet all the criteria. If it fits off, it's going to burn you, I'm sure, uh, down the road as well. One thing that we chatted on a little bit too that I think would be interesting is, you know, veterinary medicine is known for, you know, morning huddles or kind of these ad hoc meetings, but a lot of people struggle with running effective meetings. How do you, with a team as large as yours, run good meetings? And how do you keep everyone informed? We do a ton of different things in terms of communication, and our practice is open six days a week. Our large animal practice actually does Sundays and overnights as well, but our large animal practice is six days a week, but all of our team members work four days a week. Actually, there's a few that work three, so there is never a single day that the whole team is on. And there's also never a single day that the same team is on because one of the fits in our practice is flexibility. So if somebody wants to work at a place where they work the exact same days every single week, always, we'd be a horrible employer for them because we like everyone's weeks are totally different because we try to accommodate whatever days off that they want to take, which works for the people who want to be there. Saying that, we have to find ways to communicate with everybody that also gives them their days off off. So we only gather as a full group once a month. We have people who live one hour from our practice that drive an hour to work there. I am not going to have them come in every week. And we don't want people's days off to be having to come to work. So once a month, we have a meeting, but that meeting is a collaborative meeting. It's got a knowledge component. So we are teaching something at that meeting. Usually we're bringing in someone who's teaching or we've purchased a video. That part is really important because they want to be there to learn. I'm not going to stand up front or my manager's not going to stand up front with a litany of, hey guys, don't chew gum. That's not going to happen at a meeting. These people drove a long ways. They're taking their day off. And the reality is financially as an owner, this is very expensive. I'm paying a lot of people. And some of those people are getting overtime because this is not their day on. So they're getting overtime. So 
we do that and then we break up into groups and have discussions about what we need to in their circle groups. Everyone's in a circle. There's no leader of it. Somebody might be the moderator. And a lot of times it's not the manager. A lot of times it's, hey, you brought this up, put you on the agenda. Can you present it to us? Let's discuss how that's going to impact our practice and what we should do differently. So that's our big meeting. And then the way we communicate outside that is we have a weekly my manager puts out and that's got the, hey guys, don't chew gum or whatever. That's not something she's ever put in there, but it's got things, information, announcements that are important that everyone needs to know. It's also got celebrations in there. It's got memes in there. It's generally got a recipe of the week. It's got a reason for you to open it. And hey, guys, this has been happening a lot. Let's double check that this is done before everyone leaves for the day or whatever. That's where that's put. Other things, we have a chalkboard in our treatment area and anyone can write on the chalkboard anything and they put a date and in one week we erase it and it's read out at our morning huddle. We do have a morning huddle. So morning huddle, everyone gets together. It's five minutes. We don't hospitalize patients, so we don't have to do rounds, but we talk about here's who is with who, here's who has special needs today. You know, somebody might say, my kid was up all night. I'm really tired. Can somebody double check all of my drug doses today for me? Literally everyone feels like they can have a voice in that meeting. In fact, the managers don't even aren't even talking. We just show up. But we have a lot of students. We have externs. We want to introduce them to everybody. And then at that meeting, we always read everything that's on the board and say, does anyone have any questions about that? So these are things that are maybe a little more complicated than we should put in the email. So the blood tubes change from this color to this color, but they're the same tube. Then somebody can go, wait, wait, what? And we can take them out of the drawer and say, this is what it is. Yeah. So we have a morning huddle. And then we have department meetings at the same time as our regular meeting. We have our weekly email. And then we do topic rounds in large animal once a week, where we almost all of us are on every Wednesday. So we do a topic each Wednesday where we just are revising our protocols. But it's also a teaching time because we've got students. And then small animal doctors have a meeting once a week as well. And it's part of their mentorship with our new grad. So lots of meetings, but they're always incredibly effective and always are outcome-based. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission-driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable, online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax grow and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. Love that. Like the outcome-based piece because you don't need to have meetings to have meetings. Just like, hey, I went to this training and it said, do these meetings. So we're just going to show up and we're going to do these meetings because that's what makes it impactful. It's like, no, it's really whatever the content or the things that are discussed and the ability for people to take the information and go implement whatever we're talking about there. And that leads me to ask a question for you because you are the sole owner today. How do you strategically plan for the business? Do you have time where you're doing that every quarter? Do you do it solo? Do you have a coach? Do you have someone that helps sit down? You talked about a manager, like is that person involved as well? As much or as little as you can share there would be very interested in strategically thinking through how you've implemented a lot of these things over the years and how you plan for the business. Yeah, we could not function. We could not grow without strategic planning. I light up when I hear strategic planning. We started doing strategic planning 14 years ago and we do an annual retreat. We physically leave where we cannot drive back. We've tried to do it an hour away. We always end up running back to the clinic for something. So we'll go usually about three to four hours away and it's been different people. The last time it was myself, my general manager, 
And we have my CFO, who's also my husband, who works full-time at the clinic. So he does the money, he does all the payroll, the taxes, all the billing. He does a lot more than that too. And building maintenance, embarrassed that he does probably 30 other things that I'm not sure what they are, but things I don't have to do. So the three of us, We've been up to six people. We took seven once. That was way too many, in my opinion. What happens in our experience, and when I learned more about strategic planning, literally I took a class on strategic planning in my MBA program, an elective on it, because I love it so much. But when you have too many people that represent different departments, they become, they're showing up as advocating for their department and not advocating for the clinic as a whole. At least that's what we found early on. We now have different management structure in place. So this year there will be, I think, five of us going when we head out. So once a year we go away, basically day one is where are we now? And we look at all the data that Neil provides of where are we now financially. We look at satisfaction surveys. Our team takes these surveys. They're 27 pages long, I think, and they fill them all out. They put their name on them. They have, name is optional. They all put their name because they're, we're in a culture where they recognize that their voice is valuable and there's no repercussions for being rough. And they can be rough in them. They can say, you guys, this sucks. We need to fix this. So we use the satisfaction surveys. We use the data and we talk about that the first day. Second day is where do we want to be? And the third day is how do we get there? And we leave there with an action list that we are going to use over the next year, but we break it into 12-week segments. So we know what we're doing the next 12 weeks. And then every 12 weeks, we have a one day, and that is in town, where the same group meets for one day. We don't re-interview or we don't re-survey everybody, but we do gather information. We say, if there's anything you need us to bring up, SP, we're doing it on Friday. That'll go on the board management team heading to SP on Friday. If there's anything you want to tell them, chat with them or send an email. And then it changes throughout the year. We're really comfortable with course correction, but that's how we move in unbelievable ways. We could never be where we are now without it. We know right now what we're doing next year. We know what we're doing in three years. We know what we're doing in five years. So it's a 12 month and then three and then five year. Because I think it gets really hard when people have like these I've done goal planning personally, stuff down. Those super long ones are so hard. <laughs> yeah, the so pandemic totally taught us, don't waste your time on 10-year goals, I think. And should you, your vision is further than that, potentially. So this more vague thing is there, but the actual actions to get there, not so much, in our opinion. Yeah, so we go out to five. We do ask everybody, uh, We well, we ask all the doctors and all the managers, where do you see yourself in one year, five year, 10 years, because we kind of want to know that's a part of our plan moving forward. But all of us have changed what we said in 10 years. Sure. That's natural. If no one changed it, probably again, going back to fit, probably not the right spot for them because I think you're going to self-select for some of those people as well. What metrics do you like to track? And I know you mentioned Neil probably is pulling a lot of that information together, but are there KPIs, so those key performance indicators or things that you're looking at a more regular basis that help make those course corrections or say, hey, we're really crushing it right now. We're doing awesome. Or man, what happened? Where'd we drop the ball? Yeah, I had my management meeting this morning. So myself and my general manager and CFO, we meet once a week. It's on my CEO day. Today's my CEO day. So I'm at my house. I don't go to the clinic generally on my CEO day. So sometimes I go in for the meeting. Sometimes I do it from home. But we go over KPI switch for us as to what's important. But there's things that we used to go over that mean nothing to me now. I think they're a waste of time. And when you look at like well-managed practice, they tell you, oh, this is important. And it's not if you can't act on it. So things that aren't important to me, Percent of revenue going to lab. I don't care. I don't care what percent of my revenue is coming from the laboratory. I don't care what percent of my revenue is coming from diagnostics because it's percent, right? It's not dollars. So if we're really crushing it over here, it's going to make the percent of lab get smaller just mathematically, which means nothing in the grand scheme of things. So a lot of the studies out there will tell you this percent should go to this, this percent. And I think that's just 
a waste of my time. It means nothing to us. We track a lot at our practice. There's a program called Use My Stats where you input stuff daily. Different members of my team are responsible to input stuff at the end of every single day. They do. It creates graphs. So what we meet at our management meeting and we look at the big graphs and then if they're off. So this morning, large annual production dropped significantly last week compared to the week before. So now we do address that. So then we go, okay, what, why did it drop? So then we go to the smaller stats. Was it average client transaction? Was it that we look at how many doctor days were worked last week? Oh, well, we had several doctors that were gone. One was sick, two were at CE. Well, there's our answer. So we can come back. But it's not just Oh, we think that's why it is. So we're super analytical and find the problems. I love using stats. It's changed how we react because we can react week by week. It's in there day by day, but I don't look at it day by day. I look at it week by week. Is there anything you've included that you didn't include before that you feel like is important that has changed? Not so much. I mean, I look monthly at the doctors to make sure that they're all kind of aligned and are doing about the same. And they are. So I rarely look at that. That's something I've taken out. I glance at it, but it doesn't bother me. The doctor that sees more patients generally has an average client transaction that's higher and it all balances out in the end. We've been very fortunate that we didn't have a lot of discrepancies there. Is there something that we track that I think doctor days is something that it took us a while to figure out how to track because we'd say, why is our production down? And we'd go through all these other graphs and we're like, well, new clients are up. Average client transactions up. Why is this happening? And it took us a long time to go, wait, we didn't have full staffing last year or last month for doctors. And occasionally we've had it happen with techs. So we had, everyone was sick at the same week that, and this is literally what happened last week. We had several out sick, but we had several techs at a conference. So we literally were turning away things and making schedules that were a lot wimpier in terms of work because of our support team not being available to us. So I think looking at the HR side of it and comparing those to your numbers is pretty critical. Yeah. I like that. You gave me a quote that I've used in the past. I really like it. I'm just going to say it and then I want you to unpack it however you want. But you just said, the money then follows. What does that mean? And what have you taken from that and implemented into the practice? Because I think there is a lot there. Yeah, I guess systems and structure, if you trust, well, first of all, there's going to be a lot of wobbles. There's going to be high days, there's going to be low days. But really, when you're thinking about high and low, those are short-term issues. The big long-term structure and sustainability will always turn into profitability. Unless you do something crazy, the money's going to follow. If you train your team more, they're going to be more efficient or more proficient, both of which translate into dollar bills. If you spend the time to shut down the clinic to say, okay, guys, we have to figure out how to fix the flow on surgery mornings because that first patient isn't getting in the OR until an hour and a half after we open, so or an hour and a half after it arrives. So what's going on? And let's dig deep into this and figure out how we can change it. And then I shush because I'm not doing it. I don't know where the problems lie. And they figured out and we leave that meeting with a new plan. And so the money will follow because now we are more efficient in that area. I don't look at ROI anymore on numerical basis right away. So just a personal thing. I have a mentor that I pay a ton of money to be in a mastermind group with a bunch of other business owners. No one is a veterinarian in this group, but it's mostly to help me run my practice, but also run my coaching business that I coach veterinary practice owners and managers. I cannot do the math to show how many courses do I have to sell to pay to be in that mastermind. I'm in that mastermind to learn and to grow and apply it to all these areas of my life. And the money will follow eventually. And I can't make it turn into math, but that's what we've seen. It's like hiring that first manager. I think a lot of the people that I consult are so scared to hire a manager because they're not direct income producers. So you hire a tech, they're helping you produce income, but a manager isn't. And I tell them, 
I promise the money will follow. Get a manager in there. Everything is going to become better at your practice if you train them well and you onboard them correctly and you let them do things and don't take over everything they're doing. And all of a sudden you'll look back and you'll see, oh my gosh, we made so much more money. Well, you made more than their salary, I'm sure. So you can track direct ROI. Is there anything on your heart or mind that I haven't asked about, but if you were speaking to current practice owners, future practice owners that you would want to share? I think that holding the energy is a big part of this. I see people burning out. Everything's falling apart. Nothing works. I'm going to fire all of my team and start all over. And I've said that and I've felt that. And I think really working to develop your emotional intelligence, really, and emotional intelligence, there's five tenets of it, right? There's self-regulation, there's motivation, there's self-awareness, there's empathy, social skills. So if you work to develop those, I mean, it's very woo-woo to say energy, but if you can look at the highs and lows in your practice as short-term issues, and then take those issues and just kind of micro tweak what you need to out of them, not worry about it. Just say, "Mm, maybe we could do that a little differently instead of losing sleep for five days over something, then you're going to have a whole lot more fun in your practice. It's really good energy to be like, okay, that's a problem. Let's fix it rather than, ah, why do they keep doing that over? How can they drop that piece of equipment again? They don't care about my stuff. You can get in that negative energy loop with yourself. And I think that for me, learning how to control that a little better has made my life a lot easier so that I have the energy and the enthusiasm for my real estate business, for my coaching business, for my veterinary practice, for my family. I watch my grandkids every Thursday and I'm not giving that up, but how do I do that and do this? Well, I've figured out not to let things eat at me and I figured out how to outsource really well. So I think that's kind of a big woo-woo thing that I think a lot of the people that I talk to struggle with. And then I have one more that's totally unrelated. And I think recognize that your team, if you have the right people, want to learn and grow and be used at the top of their skill set. And they want their skill set to grow. And if you've got somebody who's great, who's doing great, and they have nowhere to go, I think that they're probably going to leave you at some point or be dissatisfied. And if you're dissatisfied, then you're not engaged. And if you're not engaged, then that affects everything statistically. That affects the bottom line of the practice. Practices that have engaged team members, it's defined in some studies, are 22% higher profitability than practices with unengaged teams. And unengaged doesn't mean sabotaging. Unengaged means just indifferent about being at work. So giving them these paths to growth in our practice, we have a tier-based system for everyone in the clinic. Every person that comes in is at tier zero for whatever position they're in. They know exactly the hard skills, soft skills, and knowledge they need to self-attain. We give them the tools to do so, but they have to do it themselves to move up into the next tier and the next tier and the next tier and the next tier. And we see some people just, they're going at it. And we see other people who, let's say we have five tiers for our technicians. They moved up to tier three and they're really happy at tier three. That's where they want to live. They're still going to learn and grow in some areas, but they don't really want to be a tier four tech. There's a lot of responsibility there. I'm fine with that. I don't need all tier five technicians, but they know they are in control of their wage because wages are associated with tier pay. So that's been a big difference in ours, but it also attracts self-motivated people. There are people who would not want to work at our practice because they're like, I've been doing this for years. I'm not starting at the bottom. And we say, okay. Bye. And we've made some changes. We've done some things for particular people so that they're not losing a ton of money to come to our practice. But ultimately, they do have to start at tier zero and work their way up. We've tweaked some wages for the first six months to say, we'll hire you at a little higher tier, but you got to attain it in a certain period of time. Yeah. You still got to earn it regardless. We feel like you're going to be there, but yeah, we'll spot you, but you got to show me. Yeah. I love that. And again, going back to the self-selection piece, you get a great team because everyone's marching towards this similar thing where if they're self-motivated, they know that they can have a career here, they can grow, they're in control. That whole then team takes that attitude towards the business. And again, to me, it's not a shock hearing those different pieces, why 
you and the broader business itself has had a, a ton of success, which is really, really cool to see and, and hear about. So thank you for sharing that. And I always allow guests to ask me a question. It can be in regards to our conversation. It can be completely outside of it. So I know I've have continued to kind of pepper you with questions and going through this. Is there anything that you want to ask me about or pose back? How's your baby? Kids are good. Kids are often sick. So I feel like we constantly go through that. I know you can understand that, especially with grandkids right now as well. But no, I think one of the biggest blessings and one of the biggest joys in life is having kids. And so to me, I absolutely love it. It's great. It's challenging. My wife and I joke a lot about what we do with all the time. What do we do prior to having kids? Like I just can't, I can't remember very much of us being married without kids. It's a hard thing to think about. And it's just, you make time and space and it's cool. So we have a four-year-old and a year and a half old and just seeing them develop at different ways, but also just how the personalities are there. And one has almost all the features of me. And then the other one has a lot more features of my wife. And there's like just a mix of two things that are each of us and the other one. So it's fun. Well, that's awesome. I would have a lot more kids. I think we're going to be done though. My wife is like, hey, I have the hard part of this. So maybe we foster, yeah. maybe we adopt. We haven't. Yeah. We haven't thrown that out because there are a lot of kids in the world that need love. And yeah, absolutely. And so we've talked about that. So that's awesome. Still probably a little early to make those decisions, but yeah, kids are great. I always tell people, if you want to have kids, have as many as you can. If you aren't sure, give it some time. And there's nothing wrong if lots of people are perfectly happy without kids. Great. But if you think you want them, you should definitely have them. It definitely gives you a different outlook on the world. And I know that I've change. I kind of think of myself before our first and then after, yeah, before kids and after kids. Yeah. But I also think part of it for me was our son was born in summer of 2019. So he was born then. And then you had kind of the, everything that happened in 2020 and 2021. And yeah, I definitely changed. There's lots of things that made me see the world differently because of all that. So it's good. I appreciate it. Yeah. No problem. You're glowing talking about your kids. How many grandkids do you have? So I have five children and three are married and one is in college and I have a 14 year old still. And then I have three grandchildren and one on the way and they're two, one, one and on the way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, awesome. you're definitely in the super fun, always sick, but yeah. Running in every direction. Yeah. Not enough childproofing in the world. Yeah. Wonderful. But such a joy. And a lot of this just circling back is about having the energy for my grandkids is not letting things at the clinic eat away at me and recognizing so much can be outsourced and it's still my practice and it's still my dream. It's just also other people's practices and their dreams too. Amen to that. So please let us know how listeners follow up, connect with you. And I know I did a very poor job in my intro at plugging the coaching piece as well, but talk about that a little bit. And then how would someone follow connect with you? Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. No, you didn't do a horrible job at all. I mean, it's a part of my life. It's not a consuming part. But what I found is as I would go to conferences, I would always seek out practice owners. And early in my career, I was the taker of information. And it turned into me being the giver of information. I'd make lots of connections at conferences and people would follow up with me. And as I went through my MBA, I thought, I need to tell everybody about this. Where is there a platform where I can talk about this? And so I've had the privilege of lecturing at lots of conferences over the last year. And I have lots more scheduled over the next year on practice management, which just fuels my soul. I love that there's somebody out there because nobody was out there for me at the beginning. There was nobody. I had a couple of books and I just floundered. And I've always said I'm going to write a book called How Not to Run a Veterinary Practice because I really think all my mistakes need to just be thrown out there so people don't do it. So I started Veterinary MBA a year ago to help practice owners and practice managers and those that are maybe interested in practice ownership, so students and associates learn through online webinars. I call them masterclasses or programs or workshops. And I do them live and then they're recorded and people can purchase them and have access to them. And it's been wonderful. And then I do have some memberships where they have Q&As. So we're doing a little more one-on-one -on -one or group chatting with specific questions. So that's been really fun. In terms of where I'm talking about it, I'm on Instagram 
only, which is really pathetic because most of my audience is not. So the website is veterinary-mba.com. And that's where all the information is if you're not on Instagram. If you're on Instagram, I have five accounts for five different businesses. Shocker. And the veterinary MBA is veterinary underscore MBA is my Instagram handle. And then if you want to see cool animal cases, because we see a lot of pigs, dr.christinestaten is my other Instagram handle. I rarely look at LinkedIn. Apparently I have a Facebook account, but I can't figure it out and I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. One social media is enough. And I think there's a second podcast or someone could have a podcast with you on it on the how to not run a veterinary clinic. I think that would actually be a wildly interesting episode. So I think it's out there, but thank you for the time. Really, really appreciate it. And I know there's a lot that people can take from this episode. So appreciate the time. Thank you for setting this up and inviting me on. This has been fun. All the best. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. However, you are intelligent enough to make decisions for yourself. So I do encourage you to dig in, learn for yourself, and not just outsource every decision that you make. You should talk to your professional team if you have one before implementing anything that I talk about, but also make sure they know what they're talking about. Push them, question them. That's healthy. That's okay. Oh yeah. And you should probably own and learn a little bit about that Bitcoin thing. The biggest compliment you can give to me is to share the show with a friend or the podcast, if there's another episode that you really like. That helps folks find it. That helps it grow. Um, Reviews are critical. The Apple Podcast is the platform that's predominantly used for how people find the show. So if you have three minutes, love the show, please head over, give us five stars if you believe that's what we earned. That would help more people find the show. Also, if you're new, go to YouTube. It's a channel. Uh, Putting up all the videos there as well. Sometimes it's going to be more interactive. Other times it's just going to be the conversation. So vainly, I want to get 100 subscribers so I get the vanity URL. That's the goal. We're on our way, but not quite there yet. For all of today's links information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss any episodes in the future. And finally, if you'd like more information, insights, or have the ability for your voice to be heard, join the Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinarian Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom, about your host, click on the Facebook icon. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor women's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology, 
That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, a uh, 24-hour ER less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95000 can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.